everyone. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. I'm your host, Lindsay. And today's guest is someone that I have known for my entire life uh, because it's my dad, Tom Cowan. Hi, Tom. Hey, Lindsay. <laughs> Hi, Father. How are you? I'm fine. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually visiting my parents in Georgia for the weekend, and so I thought it would be fun to talk with my dad um, and have him on the podcast talk about a little mental health, uh, which we will get into. But first, I wanted to talk about our relationship because my whole life, my dad has had this uh, nickname for me, Pumpkin Doodle. Like <laughs> pumpkin as in like Halloween pumpkin and doodle as in like a drawing doodle. And like he will always call me pumpkin for short. I mean, so much to the point where I actually got a pumpkin tattoo on my arm. It's my first tattoo because I figured if I get it, in honor of you, you won't be mad at me. <laughs> but um, I've, I don't think I've ever really asked you like where this nickname originated from, just because I've known it my whole life and haven't questioned it. But like, where did you come up with this pumpkin doodle? I have the foggiest idea. Yeah. I just you uh, from the time you were a little baby came home from the hospital. Did I look like a pumpkin? No, no. Oh. It's just uh, <laughs> I always just called you my pumpkin. I don't know where the doodle came from, but yeah, uh, I know like pumpkin is like an endearing name that some people give, but the doodle part, I'm like, just ad libbed a little bit, just added something personal to pumpkin it. Pumpkin huh? doodle, and growing up, people sometimes were like, "What are you saying?" Right? They like didn't. Right. It was a, a church we attended had a young pastor, and he first time he heard me call you pumpkin doodle, he goes. What did you call her? I said pumpkin doodle. He goes, I thought you said pumpkin doodoo. <laughs> he said that. You know, Lindsay, no, just a pile no, of doodoo. Yeah, I had no idea where that was coming from. So I said, no, it's pumpkin doodle. It's yeah. just an endearing term. I've always called her. Yeah, and I've always, you know, responded to it. Even like I, <laughs> there's a story that you've told me. I think I was like in middle school or something. I was really into soccer. Maybe it was elementary school. And uh, I was playing in a game and running up and down the field, and you were cheering me on. And I think you were using the nickname Pumpkin Doodle as you were cheering me on. And that, I yeah, as you were running around the field, I was cheering you. I think I was just saying, Pumpkin, go Pumpkin, go Pumpkin. <laughs> and, and you <laughs> swung by the side of the field and go, Daddy, don't call me Pumpkin anymore, publicly. Oh, no. She, so, I was uh, too cool for the nickname. So, yeah, you were too cool for the nickname for your cool little friend. Too cool for school. So um, that was an impactful moment for me, and I Aww. was careful then not to. I'm sorry. No, it, it was cool. It was I, not I mean, now I don't care. Yeah, I'd call you pumpkin uh, publicly, just you know, when we're alone, just call you my pumpkin, mm -hmm. or on the phone when you call me, I say hi, pumpkin. Now I'm branded with it on my arm, and people yes. always ask me, "What does that mean?" And I'm yeah. just like, if, sometimes if I don't want to give the the long story, I'm just like, I was born the day after Halloween. I like pumpkins, but really, it was for for you. So although that was true, right? Yeah, no, I got it for you. Yeah. Like, you know, because no, I mean the Halloween thing. Oh, I mean, I am born the day after yeah. Halloween, but. Yeah. And then some people say that my head looks like a pumpkin because no. it's, <laughs> it's really round. <laughs> or yeah. I like pumpkin spice lattes. I mean, I, there's a lot of things I could do with that yeah. there. So. Well, your mom loves the pumpkin flavor when you say uh, pumpkin latte. So it could, yeah, it could be in honor of her too. Yeah, she loves pumpkin lattes. Yeah, so we have a lot of good memories together. Do you have a, a particular one that's your favorite of me? What sticks out? Uh, a I lot. Know I was I was a pretty adorable child. Yes, you were, and uh, no, we, uh, you were always special to me from day one. Um, um, 
you came along kind of late in my life. Uh, uh, your mom and I both are a little bit older, and uh, you're just very special to me. And uh, I had uh, your brothers, mm-hmm. uh, older, and uh, so just to have the little girl come along later in life was very special. And I enjoyed you every step of your life as you progressed and matured throughout life. Uh, every every stage was very special to me, and I enjoyed it when watching you grow up through school. Uh, of course, I always thought you were adorable. And, well, uh, I am adorable. But uh, <laughs> uh, you played sports, and I, I, I love sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played soccer, as you mentioned, when you were very little. And you are a little tall, so you uh, played volleyball in high school. And I used to love to, and your mom as well, we used to love to come out and watch you play volleyball. So, so but, the uh, sports are your favorite memories? Uh, th- there's a few. Wait, uh, can I, I remember one. Can I tell it? Sure. I went through a phase where I thought it was so cool when ponytails would bounce up and down. Like, I don't know w- where I got that from, but so I like did a really high ponytail and I wanted it to bounce when I walked. And so I like when I ran outside and I was like, daddy, can you tell me if my ponytail <laughs> bounces when I, when I run? Yeah, that was so precious. You came <laughs> to me and said, uh. Daddy, watch me when I run. Let me know if my ponytail bounces. <laughs> like, where did I come up with I that? Don't know, but it was so cute. <laughs> I can vividly remember that. I mean, it was a long time. I mean, ago. I remember it, yeah, but I remember seeing uh, some it on someone else and being like, "I want my ponytail to bounce." <laughs> but that was real cute. Uh, Daddy, watch me run and see if it bounces. That's we were <laughs> what is wrong with me? We were in uh, Pembroke Pines then. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, one thing, you know, you obviously were or are a great dad and always there for me, but, like, I uh, I always appreciated that you really taught me a lot about music growing up. Not, I mean, not I don't know how to play an instrument, and I don't think that you play in, any instrument either, but it's just about good music, and from a young age, you were always, like, playing, like, the Beatles and Eric Clapton and just, like, Fleetwood Mac and even, like, classic country and all sorts of, like, things that kids my age were not aware of, and I think that established, like, a really unique solid taste in music that I still appreciate to this day. Where did that come from for you? Um, I'm not sure. I always just loved music. Um, when I was in high school, was that the uh, the British Invasion is called when the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Who and the Kinks and all those groups came over. And that's when I was in high school. And I just, I loved that music so much. And I also loved the Motown sound of that era mm-hmm. uh, with the Temptations and the Supremes and the Four Tops and all that. And, um, you know, if I, if I had studied in school and college as much as I <laughs> studied music, I would have done much better. But uh, uh, I was just a natural with um, music trivia. Mm-hmm. I won so many contests uh, uh, over the phone with radio stations and everything. And so... Uh, both you and your brothers, I was always uh, challenging you with music trivia. Yeah, I always thought like the perfect job for you to, would be like a radio DJ on like an oldie station where you just like talked about fun facts about musicians and played great music. Like you would just be like, that's the perfect job for you. You should. I even had a I, matter of fact, I fantasized that once along the way. And a matter of fact, it was going to be uh, a midnight till morning nighttime DJ with uh, was top classics with TC. Oh, you like have the name? I even had the name. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, hey, uh, we can make it happen. So anyway, yeah. So yeah, uh, 
I really love music, and, uh, and, and it is funny. I, in middle school, I played uh, a woodwind instrument, but I really uh, never um, played an instrument, but I uh, just had this unusual love for music. Yeah, and that, that's carried over into, into my life, a love for music, and I really have always regretted that I've never learned an instrument, and I, it's something that I, I keep on saying that I'm going to do, but um, yeah, so that was something that we share. Um, so you actually listen to this podcast Soberland and you, you you're a fan of it and you've you've mentioned that as you've been listening to some of my episodes some things have come up for you some things that uh, are similarities to your personality and your past as far as drinking goes which was kind of a surprise to me because you've never shared that with me before and um that was uh, honestly kind of comforting to hear because I definitely have felt I guess some confusion because a lot of times with stories with addiction, you, they they always mention that their parents had a similar problem or it stemmed from like their family. And I was just always like, no, my family's fine. They don't have any addictions. They don't drink. I've never even seen them drink. And then so to hear that you've actually have a past with heavy drinking, um, it kind of, I don't know, clicked for me or made a little bit more sense as to why I'm the way that I am. So... Um, yeah, I'd like to get into that and hear your story. Yeah, well, I've listened to your your sober land, and uh, I was so impressed with your honesty and your courage and your boldness to speak out so honestly like that because it is difficult uh, to to share um, a, something that some people would perceive as a weakness or something really really negative, but but to be so bold as to share it. And I, I can't think of it can't do anything but help you as you move forward in your life at this point. And listening to your honesty and everything, I felt it was time for me to come forward and to share with you that, yes, when I was a young man, about your, your age that you are now, indeed, I did have a, uh, a quite honestly, a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was very excessive. I'm not sure if I was an alcoholic, but boy, I, I was close. And uh, it, it was a, a central theme in my life for many, many years. My background uh, to really a foundation, both my uh, grandfathers were evangelical Christian pastors. So that's the background my mother and father came from. Um, there was never any kind of liquor in the house at all growing up, ever. It wasn't even an issue. We never discussed drinking. Uh, the sins of drinking or the dark side of drinking. It just, we just didn't talk about it. There was no liquor in the house, and it wasn't an issue. Um, so I went through entirely through high school and uh, never had a beer, uh, never had even an occasion to drink a beer. Um, and, t uh, and then when I graduated from high school, I went to college, and I entered into an environment that was uh, extremely... Uh, heavily alcohol-oriented, and that was the infamous college fraternity. And so uh, I joined the fraternity, and initially I continued to be sober. I didn't uh, get, I didn't indulge, but after a while, uh, through peer pressure and wanting to be accepted and things like that, uh, I began to drink. There was plenty of occasions to drink, many, many parties, and it all centered around drinking. At that particular time and at this particular college, uh, even though this was the mid-60s, there still wasn't much of a drug influence in that group of people. 
or, or even in the school or the, uh, the fraternity, but there was, was heavy drinking. In the 60s, this was? Mm-hmm. Well, so wasn't all that kind of like Woodstock, hippie, let's do LSD and kind of stuff going on there? And, or was that just mm. outside of schools? No, that was... Uh, the Well, the 60s were um, the rebellion of the Vietnam War, the Woodstock... Um, that era, yes, the hippies, the long hair, uh, all you know, the bell-bottom pants, all that came uh, in, in the mid mid sixties to the early seventies. Okay, and th- this was the era, pretty much I I grew up in. Yeah, I'm a child of the sixties, you could say. Yeah, but it for you when when you were in college and in the fraternity, it was mostly alcohol that was around. Yes, um, almost exclusively. There's yeah. very little uh, drug activity in my fraternity even in my college it was, oh, okay. mo- it was mostly drinking uh, it was a small college in central florida and uh there wasn't uh, any 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 drug uh, matter of fact we had a representative of the sds uh, uh which was a radical national student organization at the time protesting the war and he was on his way to university of florida where there was a lot of anti-war activity uh, you may have heard of the Gainesville Eight. They were uh, very, very big at that time. They were anti-war demonstrators at the University of Florida, and he stopped. He stopped in our school, and it was like about 15 people showed up to the rally. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, and I was one of them. I just wanted to hear what this guy had to say. And he and you said like this was a, a time war. If you felt like this school was uh, still in the 50s or something, because uh. there was no no activity at all in our little school and. Uh, so anyway, I thought I, I, I recall that meeting with him, and uh, and he was almost astonished, like he was leaving our little school to go to Florida, which was huge into the anti-war movement at that time. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you were in fraternity, how frequent was the drinking? Like every day? N- uh, not every day, but uh, it was uh, all every weekend. Yeah. Every weekend and. Uh, we had a lot of uh, at that time called keg parties, and we'd go yeah. out into the woods. Those still with, exist. <laughs> with uh, kegs of beer, and uh, and we would drink. And uh, for the most part, it was fun. Uh, but uh, it did lead on to later in my life more serious drinking. But that that was kind of the foundation and the launching pad into a period where I did get involved with some pretty heavy drinking. Initially, what was there any underlying reason that you were drinking, or was it just, honestly, just to kind of fit in and have fun? Um, probably just to fit in okay. and, and to have fun. Uh, now, when I was in high school, I was brutally shy mm-hmm. and uh, very socially awkward. And when I got into college and into uh, to that scene, um, maybe... I felt like the drinking gave me more courage to speak up, and and I opened up quite a bit socially, and became more comfortable in social st- uh, settings. Okay, yeah, that's a similar thing for me there too. Is I was really shy as a, as a kid, and I think when I drank, I finally felt comfortable in my skin and mm-hmm. was able to kind of be more extroverted and have more fun and kind of say the things that I uh, was too shy to say or do when I was drinking. So mm-hmm. I think there's there's a similarity there, but. Um, so after college, did you continue to drink after you left the fraternity? So I left one environment, which is very, uh, uh, drink, uh, very alcohol centered, uh, uh, environment to one that was even more 
the alcohol center, and that was the military. So Ooh. I went from the, from college, I went into the military, went into the Air Force, and again, there was even probably more drinking, <clears throat> but heavy, heavy drinking. Uh, there, uh, it was almost daily, uh, definitely on the weekends, much heavier. Like everybody or just you? Uh, or a lot of people. But uh, this yeah. is you in particular? Uh, yeah, me in particular. Oh, okay. right? Yeah, the, the drinking accelerated. Um, quite a bit, uh, and I found out that I had a high tolerance for alcohol, and I could pretty much outdrink anyone, and it became almost like a reputation thing, like a yeah. like a gunslinger, and people would actually challenge me, and I could outdrink anyone, so it, it really accelerated uh, out of control almost to that point. I still, in all honesty, reflect back, I wasn't an alcoholic, but it was just really, really heavy. It was uh, very central to my personality at that time. Uh, and it lasted through, again, all four years of the Air Force. And again, very, very little. There was a lot more drug activity uh, that I witnessed. But again, I, I, for some reason, I never really got into that. But uh, I stayed pretty much with the drinking. And it kind of went from beer to more of the hard liquor, too, mm -hmm. at that point. Well, after I got through the military... Um, one of my first positions in civilian life was, ironically, I was, a, was hired to be the business manager for the Lee County Alcoholism Unit in Fort Myers, Florida. And so uh, even though I wasn't a therapist or a counselor, uh, uh, working with alcoholics, I was around it every single day as so the business manager. When did... Was that immediately after the military you transitioned to uh, a Yeah, it was pretty job? much, it was probably my first real good job after I got out of the military. Okay. Was into this rehab facility. You were working it was a, there. It was, a, it was Lee County Alcoholism Unit. It was a part of the Lee County Mental Health System on the west coast of Florida. It was in Fort Myers. And uh, at that time in the state of Florida, they had passed a, legislation called the Myers Act and it was it was it's instrumental in uh, helping alcoholics they um, in the past if someone if a police officer picked up a, someone who had been drinking a public drunk if you will especially in that area um, they would be out in the field or under a bridge or whatever they would just throw them in the old classic drunk tank and let them sober up and then they release them or what you know so there was a huge stride they created this thing called the Myers Act so instead of taking the individual to that kind of environment, they brought them to our clinic mm. where at least they could get some food, medical attention, and, and begin a counseling process if, if they wanted to pursue that. It was there for them. It was no, no cost. So some of these, uh, mostly men, they would bring in, uh, some from the migrant fields in Immokalee in that area, really, really bad shape. They would come in, and at least they would get some medical attention and some food and gave them the opportunity and the potential to direct their life in a more positive direction. Okay, so I'm sure working there you saw, you know, th the absolute st stereotype of an alcoholic, you know, delirium tremens or, you know, they lost their job or their family, mm -hmm. like rock, very rock bottom. And so is that what you are saying you think an alcoholic is? Well, um, working for an alcoholism unit, I became very familiar with what alcohol and yeah. alcoholism is. And it is a disease, and uh, it's treated as a disease. Um, 
But the director, I was very good friends with the director, and he told me uh, an alcoholic was someone when, when alcohol would interfere with their normal course of living. Um, in other words, they would uh, be chronically late for their work until they lost their job, mm -hmm. or marital problems until their wife finally got fed up with them and left them, yeah. uh, or had an accident because they were driving while intoxicated, something like that. When, when the effects of alcohol begins to impact your normal course of living, he said at that point, you're an alcoholic. And the other thing he said, if, if, it, if it dominates your thinking, mm -hmm. if, it's, if you think about it all the time, uh, and you can't wait for work to be over so you can stop at the pub or tavern and have a beer on the way home, you're probably an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in AA, and this is what it would be to me, is that base, a simple definition is like you're kind of powerless to it. It has a power over you. And that, I mean, that's kind of basically what you were just saying. It, I kept my job. I kept, I was never homeless. I, you know, I, uh, I seemed pretty together on the outside. In fact, when I told people that I had a drinking problem, um, a lot of people were surprised. It was kind of, they were shocked by it. So I don't think it, it necessarily is always super obvious. Would you agree with that? And some people hide it for years. Yeah, it can be mm -hmm. internally a, mm -hmm. a battle and affecting your mental health and the growth of your life. Absolutely, and, and I'll share that with you here in just a minute. But um, my years at the alcoholism unit, I, like you mentioned, I saw the classic cases of the destruction of someone's life due to uncontrolled drinking. I mean, um, uh, people who had senior management positions uh, lose their jobs and subsequently uh, lose their, their family, their marriage, uh, uh, and then medically uh, hit, hit rock bottom. Um, many times, uh, some of the situations were extremely sad. Uh, one gentleman, he, uh, he, was, he's a, he was an elderly man. He had been married for like 60 years, and his wife passed away uh, suddenly, and he just couldn't cope with um, out ha without having her in his life. And their neighbors knew, they saw that they didn't see him um, they, uh, around like they, they had, so they looked into his, his home, and, and, the, and it was disheveled, there was garbage everywhere, and he was in really bad shape, and they brought him to the unit and spoke with one of the counselors who was a very close friend of mine, and she uh, took care of him. They got him some medicine and some food and, and uh, found out what his issue was, that he was just have struggling with living without his wife, and he seemed to be making progress. Uh, he, he went back home, and then a few days later, they got called that he had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And so uh, everyone was really upset about that. So that shows you the, the destruction of alcoholism uh, and what it can do to you, your family, your loved ones. It, it's, it's a very, very uh, serious issue. And also I learned there that um, detox from alcoholism is more dangerous uh, than detox from some of the heavier drugs like heroin even. Uh, when, if someone's been drinking for years and they're in bad medical shape, to bring them out of that is a very uh, sensitive process and that you have to be under the uh, direction of a, of a doctor or a medical team um, or it can really uh, cause problems. Mm -hmm. So while you were working there, 
Did you, were you still drinking yourself? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, um, again, uh, on the weekends, quite a bit of drinking. Um, and, the, and it continued through the rest of my life. Uh, <clears throat> when I uh, moved on from there to uh, other, other jobs and, uh, uh, in the next decade or so, uh, probably the drinking really accelerated, and I, it was uh, really became part of central part of my life, especially on weekends. Again, uh, I never lost a job. I never got a DUI ticket or anything like that. It was like uh, it was like you mentioned earlier, sort of like a, a secret that I kept from people. Um, I had two of my closest friends. As a matter of fact, they were fraternity brothers that I had stayed in contact with. One lived in Lakeland, Florida. One lived in Vero Beach. And I used to like to go visit them quite often. I, I would go to one of their homes at least once or twice a month and spend the weekend with them, and we, we would drink the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd get there on a Friday night, and we'd start drinking, and uh, uh, one of them had a boat. We'd go out on the boat, and, and it just, you know, just constantly drinking until Sunday, and I would drive back down to Broward County where I lived. Do you feel like... When you were like drinking for extended hours like this, did it like what what were you like? Did did you ever get it into like any trouble or did do you ever get like to the point where you f- forgot what you were doing? Like which was you know like blacked out drunk or no never. Oh, okay. No, I never never no, nothing like that ever. Um, but what it did, I never blacked out or anything like that. <clears throat> But what it did, it it um, it delayed my um, my growth as 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 a man. It uh, it delayed my career growth. Um, I was at a point in my life where most men, especially with a college degree and the experience I had, were developing a career. I was still partying and drinking like I was still back in my fraternity, mm-hmm. and uh, and it and it was like I shared with you. It was like an entire. D- decade that I call my lost decade, where I didn't uh, progress as a, as a man or <clears throat> in my career or anything because I was so busy uh, drinking, going uh, on weekends to pubs to pubs and that type of thing. And, uh, and it really delayed my growth uh, and really hasn't impacted me even till today. I can feel the impact today from those those years that were, I would say were my wasted years. It sounds like alcohol played a huge role in your life for those years. In, in that period of my life, it was central. I, I, I think I'd mentioned to you, um, I was dating a, a, a girl, and um, and she was actually a barmaid if, uh, or bartender, I guess, in, in, a, in, a, in a club. And we dated for a while, and she was a very nice person. But she told me that I drank more than anyone she had ever been around, and she and she was a bar, you know, tended bar. Yeah, I think, <coughs> you know, I think that's uh, another similarity that I s- that I see in myself is uh, alcohol kind of ruled my weekends. It ruled my social life. Uh, I had a very high tolerance. I could outdrink most people, um, but the th- the difference is there is that I did black out many times very it was often that I would black out I was putting myself in dangerous situations and I was getting hurt and injuries and just being in dangerous places with people I didn't know and um just kind of checked out 
for a lot of my life. Uh, some friends and I would t- go and take similar trips like you were talking like about that you would take with your friends. Or, and we go to Palm Springs and get a house for the weekend for their birthday. And like I remember getting there and I remember leaving. Like I remember getting there Friday night and I remember leaving like Sunday afternoon, but I don't remember the rest of the time because I was just drinking or doing drugs or whatever. So um, it sounds like your weekends weren't like that intense. <laughs> well, um, again, I don't know. I was apparently blessed as far as those type of things not happening to me. Mm-hmm. I, uh even though there was heavy drinking and it was central to my life, like I said, I, I, I never had an accident. I never fell and hurt myself. Or, yeah. Uh, got a ticket. You know, nothing like, you know, getting into fights and th- that type of thing that uh, a lot of alcoholics have trouble with. Nothing like that at all. It was just, um, I just uh, spent a lot of my resources and my money yeah. on drinking. That was one thing, and rather than uh, building a nest aid for my future. Right. Okay. That type of thing. So, so it was controlled drinking to an extent. It was just a lot of it was a lot of drinking where yeah. it would take up, like you said, your time, your resources, your focus, your money, your all those kind of things. All those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think that's that can be a sometimes dangerous place to be as well because the alcohol is not making super obvious. Uh, negative impacts on your life where you're like oh man i need to change it's just kind of like very minor ones where you might be in that pattern for a longer period of time yeah i can remember so many situations uh i had forgotten about them but preparing for this conversation with you i recall some things that um i was very fortunate it was many times uh with a with a like back in the military guys who when, when we were drinking like speeding and uh, acting silly where <clears throat> could have been uh, a real tragedy. And it never happened. It never happened. And uh, I think uh, my belief system now, I think I was, I, was, uh, I was blessed for a specific reason. I can share that with you in a little bit, why God took care of me during those dark, dark years. You worked at this facility, and then what did you do after you left there? Um. I had a difficult time uh, establishing a career. I had a, I would go from job to job, and uh, uh, whenever I'd interview f- for a job, I would I would always get it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and I was kind of like the grass is always greener syndrome, and so I would bounce around from job to job. And during this period, I was still drinking quite a bit, and uh, but it, it it did progress. It went from beer, you know, to like uh, mixed drinks to straight scotch, mm-hmm. and, and then to you know. Uh, it was getting pretty serious, uh, and at this point in my life, uh, a friend of mine I was working with uh, had invited me to visit a church he was going to, and uh, initially I declined, and uh, and so I, I, I but it was I, I thought about it a lot, and uh, it's a good lesson about someone who uh, is trying to be a good friend and and making a good suggestion not to give up on the other person, so. Like a couple of weeks later, he came back to me again, and he said, uh, "I really would like you to to come to my church. It's it's called Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. Uh, the pastor's like an awesome guy." And he said, I, I, "My wife and I've been going there for years. I think you'd like it." And I said, "Well, uh, since you initially asked me, I have been actually been thinking about it. And you know what? I think I will go there." 
because I said, you know, I grew up in a church with my mother and father, and I think I'm missing that in my life. Well, I was going to say, how are you feeling at this time in your life? Were, were you, like, depressed? or Because, I, I mean, people don't just, like, typically go to church for the first time when everything's fine. You know, it's kind of something's got to be going on to kind of lead you it, there. Right. It was a clear message that I had to myself that there's something <laughs> missing in my life, that uh, uh, um, the struggles I was having... Uh, the inadequacies in many areas that I was having. Uh, um, I was thinking, what's different about me than like when I reflect back on my mom and dad as I was growing up, and I thought, you know, it was the biggest difference was they were uh, they were Christians and they went to church on a regular basis, and all their friends were Christian friends, and so they didn't encounter some of these issues that I was having. So it was at the same time I was thinking about that is when he. Uh, invited me to church. And so um, I did accept, and uh, I did meet him there. And from, from that, that day, literally, my life literally changed almost overnight. Uh, um, the the, the uh, pastor was indeed a phenomenal man. Uh, he taught me a lot. I, I listened intently. I couldn't wait to go to church each week because uh, I, I really enjoyed his messages. And uh, I was hearing things I hadn't heard since I was a child. And probably the the biggest thing was uh, I met uh, your mom there, mm. and uh, I saw her like the second week I was there, and I elbowed my friend and I said, "Who's who's the beautiful blonde up there?" And he says, "Well, her name's uh, Nancy Fredette," and, and he said, "She's she's single." And so anyway, so that caught my eye. So um, so from uh, going to church, I became a Christian. I got baptized at almost forty years old. I, I met your mom, Nancy, uh, and we hit it off very quickly. And uh, we just Which I, I should mention, um, when you met her, she wasn't completely alone. She had two small boys, right? My brothers. Right. My, uh, my twin brothers, they were how old? Seven. They were seven? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're my half-brothers. They have a different dad, but... Um, so you met her when she had seven-year-old twin boys. Yeah, so that was... <laughs> and you were still like, sure, let's do this. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a classic. <clears throat> um, from my perspective, it was a classic love at first sight. I mean, she was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And um, uh, I found that she had two little boys, seven-year-old twins. And I thought, well, here I am, almost 40, bachelor. <clears throat> am I ready for uh, become a father of two, two seven-year-old twins? And they were very active little guys, <laughs> and uh, uh, but I yeah, didn't. You say they were like rolling around and fighting in the pews at church. The, they were amazing, uh, <laughs> which they, were, they still do at, at yes. thirty-nine years old. <laughs> they um, so I yes they I um, Nancy and I had a few dates and it, it went it got serious very quick, and uh, we were married just within a few months and. Uh, uh, I began became the stepdad to Josh and Matt, and uh, we uh, had a love affair immediately as well. I mean, they just became my sons. I became their dad, even though their biological dad was still alive in the, in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, we became very, very close, and uh, <clears throat> and um, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. I often wondered why I was so protected during those years where I could have been in a lot of trouble. Uh, pastor Billingsley, the pastor of Sheridan Hills, 
said, so many people come into this office, Tom, and ask, why am I here? What is, what is my purpose in life? And he said, uh, you're very fortunate, because he said, I can tell you now, your, your purpose in life clearly was to be the dad to those two little guys. And uh, he said, that's why God protected you through those years. Oh, mm. that's so, awesome. Yeah. So uh, he said, it's very clear. Yeah. This is destiny. You were meant to be the dad to these two little guys. Yeah. And I think that's also the reason um, we we uh, hit it off so well so quickly and, uh, and you know, for the rest of their lives, really. So... Th- um so did you uh, completely abandon the drinking after that? or Pretty much. Yeah. I, uh, 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 to get back to the drinking. Yeah, pretty much. When I, uh, when I met Nancy with the two little guys, uh, and plus the change of perspective in my life as far as my values, um, and I, I just I quit drinking like overnight. Yeah. It just it went away. It, it didn't, was no longer part of my life, no longer... Uh, any kind of a craving for it, uh, it just um, it just disappeared. And I would continue to have a glass of wine with an Italian meal or something like that occasionally, or mm-hmm. a beer with a with a barbecue or something like that. But you haven't had a drink since I quit drinking in support uh, of my decision. Not that you were really a big drinker, but just to show support. Right? Exactly when. Um, I was so proud of you. It took courage uh, to come forward like you have and be so transparent with everyone about the situation that you had and that you decided to quit drinking. And like you said, even though I wasn't a big drinker, to honor that decision, uh, I quit drinking as well. And I, uh, I haven't had a, a drink since uh, you began your sobriety. Wow. Just to, uh, to celebrate that along with you. Yeah. Actually, I didn't know that until like maybe just a few months ago. Yeah, I, mean, I told you much later into your sobriety that I had done that. I was curious why why did you wait to tell me? That's a good question. I uh, I probably was just waiting to see you in person. Okay. And it made me a little bit emotional to like, you know, to hear that I was you were giving me that kind of support. That was just uh that meant a lot. So thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It just shows you how you can go from, you know, one extreme to the other. Um, uh, yeah, like, like literally overnight. Overnight sometimes with a different perspective and uh, a different uh, spiritual base and dedicated family base. Yeah, and you're still married to my mom, like yeah. 31 years later. Yeah. And I, oh, I happened at some point in there, too. Yes, you did. So, well, um, yeah, I mean, I see, I hear similarities, especially in your younger years to me, you know, to my situation and in my relationship with drinking, I think, it, I, but it does sound um, a little bit different. I think for me, there's more of underlying reasons with drinking. I, I suffer from depression and anxiety. And when I see even now in sobriety, um, when certain things happen, my initial thought is to want to drink, is to deal with things that are hard in life. And it doesn't sound like that. For you, it was more of just like a fun thing that was just socializing and, you know, but didn't really seem like it was to, to deal and to, to with other things in your life. Would you say that's right? I think that's very well put. I think uh, it may have been more than just a fun thing. Um, it, it could have been some underlying uh, sh- uh, shortcomings that I felt I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, I when I was younger, I was very socially inept. 
in uh, during the college and military days. I think, like you had mentioned, the uh, the liquor gave me a sense of to, yeah to overcome shyness, right? And, yeah, to be more social, things like that. Yeah. But yeah, but I think if I had kept on drinking at that point in my life, uh, it could have been disastrous uh, health-wise and anything, uh, many other ways. I mean, you can't drink that heavy and that had an impact your health yeah, eventually down, down, down the road when you get older. So. Yeah, it would impact your health, but I would think it would also impact your mental health. So, yeah, that, so the, I wanted to really share the, that story of my earlier life with you so that, um, like you said, you're not alone. It, uh, sometimes it happens to people that you, you love and, and know and but don't realize that they went through a similar struggle. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously I didn't share these stories with you or Matt and Josh when you were young. And uh, um, But again, since you have come forward with your uh, the boldness in your uh, new lifestyle and everything, I wanted to share with you that uh, it was I had the similar weakness myself when I was younger. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Have you noticed any differences in me in the past year since I've given up alcohol uh absolutely uh, your mom and i both have talked about it a number of times uh the most obvious thing is you look so much healthier mm. um than you were before when you were drinking um uh, just your your demeanor your spirit uh has improved um just the glow in your face it wasn't there before um so uh, much healthier, uh, a more positive outlook. Uh, you always had a great sense of humor, um, and you still maintain that good sense of humor, but I think just physically you look like a different person. You look so much healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you've lost weight. And, I mean, uh, in all aspects of your appearance, it's definitely... But I think there's um, there's more confidence. Just the fact that you're doing these podcasts, uh, that alone shows me how much you've changed and gained confidence and, uh, in yourself that you didn't have before. Uh, you used to be uh, very negative about your appearance and uh, things like that, and uh, I think you're more comfortable with who you are now than before. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pretty easy to hide my drinking from you guys because you live in Georgia and I live in California, and I see you maybe twice a year. you know, And so... Um, it was, you know, it was an easy thing to do. You guys didn't know the, how bad it was and the extent of it and all of that. You were mentioning a story that I kind of forgot of, um, where you came to visit me a few years ago when I lived in Tampa. I, I had come down to, you had been asking me to, to come visit. And so I thought I had some free time. So I drove down, you were living in Tampa at the time. Uh, my mom was still alive, uh, down a little bit further South from Tampa in, in the Sarasota area. And I thought, well, I, I'll drive down and visit Lindsay, and Lindsay and I can go down and see my mom. Uh, she was in a, uh, a nursing home. And also see my younger sister, who lives in the area. So I came down, and we had a, a real nice visit. We drove down uh, to see my mom and my sister. And then the next day, we drove uh, back up to your little apartment in, in, in Tampa. And I had planned to... Uh, take you to breakfast the next morning and then leave from there to go back up to Georgia. And you said, well, uh, that night you said, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go out for a little while, meet some friends, and mm-hmm. I'll be back a little bit later. Um, but it was quite late. You still hadn't come back, and I went, I fell asleep. 
And the next morning when I woke up, uh, you were there, but uh, uh, you were uh, sleeping so soundly I, could, I could, couldn't wake you up. And it was, at first I was kind of frightening. I, th I thought there was something wrong with you. <laughs> I was just and, passed out. And, uh, and I was concerned because I, I really couldn't wake you up. And then uh, realized later that you had you'd been out with some heavy drinking and uh, you were just, like you said, passed out. Yeah, I kind of remember that when you stayed, I, I was out until like four or five in the morning hanging out with people and drinking and stuff and came home late and yeah and then you wanted you would try to wake me up like three hours later and i was like not happening yeah i didn't want to leave I, I needed to get back you know leave and get, drive back to uh, georgia but i didn't want to leave without saying goodbye to you and i kept going and <laughs> trying to wake you up you you had mentioned how uh, what a good job you did hiding it from me mm -hmm. and uh that that little visit even though uh you were obviously very hungover I didn't really accept that in my mind. I just thought that you had been out late and you were tired. Yeah. And, uh, and that was the way I viewed it. And from my perspective, that, that just you really came in late and you're just tired. So I think I think we'll skip breakfast and I'm just going to yeah. go on back to Atlanta. Yeah. And even when I would come here to like I a lot of times wouldn't drink in front of you guys. I would wait until you went to bed or, you know, went out on my own or something like that. So I, I did. I tried to hide it from you as much as possible. Yeah, but I guess you become uh, a master at deception when you're drinking or doing drugs, I would assume, uh, and trying to hide it from loved ones or people you don't want to know about it. You you, you, you can become very good at deception and, yeah. and hiding it. Yeah. And I mean, if you do it enough, like you, your tolerance is high for it, like you were saying like yours was, and I've definitely had a very high tolerance for it as well. Well, great. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for uh, supporting me in my sobriety. And uh, I love you. I love you too. All right. Thanks, guys.